If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of the Joel, the book of Joel, and we'll be in chapter number one tonight, the book of Joel, chapter number one. We'll finish that and it'll go a little ways into chapter number two. Uh, if you remember last week, we introduced the book and uh, the prophet was describing this great locust plague that had consumed or ravaged the land and uh, it was a plague like, or uh, really a, a disaster like none Israel had seen before. Uh, the uh, destruction was worse than all the other battles that they had had with various militaries. These, these locusts had done more destruction than, than anything they'd ever seen in a, in a battle between their armies and, and, their, and enemy armies. And uh, uh, it was a it was such a plague that it was going to be talked about uh, for generations to come. But it was only a precursor to a much worse day. Actually, a better day and a worse day. And that's the, something that was going to take place far in the future that involved the nation of Israel. We call it the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, remember, begins at night because the Hebrew day begins at night. And the night is the great tribulation when, when Israel will go into the great tribulation and then the Lord will return and uh, we will go into the millennium and he will rule and reign with him for a thousand years. So it's a good day. Uh, and most of it's a really good day, but it starts out with the most terrible time on this earth has ever seen and the most terrible time that this earth will ever see. And so that's what the book of Joel uh, is going to show us about and and, and we'll see God's purposes in this day of the Lord, in, the, in this plague of locusts, uh, in the Babylonian captivity, and in the uh, day of the Lord uh, that comes with the great tribulation. So let's pick up, and uh, uh, he's going to talk more about this immediate plague that's, that's come upon the nation of Israel as we pick up in verse number 9 tonight. And listen to what he says. He says, the grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. Now that would make sense, wouldn't it? Because if locusts eat the wheat or eat the plants and the wheat, then there's no grain to make an offering. Uh, if they destroy the, everything that's green, they destroy the grapevines and there's no grapes to make wine. And so the drink offering and the uh, grain offering has been cut off and the priest mourns. The priests mourn because, hey, they're about to go out of business. Because not only do, do they not have grain and do they not have grapes for the grain offering and the drink offering, what happens to the cattle when there's no grain to feed the cattle? There's no grass to feed the cattle and everything's brown. So, so they're not going to even have animals to, to make an offering unto the Lord. And so they mourn. And it says the priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns. The grain is ruined. A new wine, the new wine is dried up and the oil fails. I mean, even the olive trees were, were destroyed and uh, there was no oil for the lamps in the temple. And so, so the priests mourn. I mean, it looks like, uh, looks like they're in trouble. It looks like they're not going to have a job. And, and, uh, uh, but they, who, who was to blame for all of this? Was it God that was to blame? Was it really the locusts that were to blame? No, it was the people. And really, you could point some finger at the priests themselves because they had 
promoted a watered down form of Judaism that, that had brought about this predicament that they were in because they had, you know, uh, uh, allowed the nation to go into without saying much to drift into sin and to drift away from the Lord and to drift into idolatry. And, and they had condoned many of the evil ways that, of the people during this time. We read all about that in the book of Hosea. And so, and they were making these offerings. They were making these grain offerings and these drink offerings and these burnt offerings and these trespass offerings and these sin offerings. They were making all of these Levitical offerings, but their heart wasn't in it. It was just, all they were doing was going through some religious motions, and, but they really weren't repentant for their sin. And so God had sent this plague upon the nation. And not only were the priests mourning, you gotta, you gotta figure the businessmen and the farmers were mourning too. Look at the, look at the next verse, verse number 11. It says, be ashamed, you farmers. I mean, be sick about the state you're in, you farmers. Well, you vine dressers, mourn because hey, your vines are gone for the wheat and the barley uh, because uh, the harvest of the field has perished. The vine is dried up. The fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree. I mean, Israel was an agrarian society, and so uh, they tra- they made trade and all of these. They still do that today uh, because of the arid climate. They're able to grow things that you can't produce in other parts of the world in the kind of mass uh, volume that they can produce. And so, so their business was drying up. The palm tree and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are, are withered. Surely... Now watch this. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of man. Now, where should they have been finding their joy? In the Lord. But more than likely, their their happiness came through their prosperity. And so now God comes along and they've drifted away from the Lord and he takes away their prosperity. And what's his purpose? His purpose is to draw them back to him so that they find their joy in the Lord. Uh, but, but, uh, and, and you would think of all people that the priest would find their joy in the Lord. Remember what, I mean, remember, isn't that what Paul taught? Remember over in Philippians how Paul was in a jail and remember what he said? He said, rejoice again, I say rejoice. Why could Paul say that? Because where did he find his joy? He found his joy in the Lord. You want, you want to test your heart? I mean, let everything be taken away and still see if you have joy. If you lose everything you have and you still got joy in your heart. I mean, you might be sad, but you'll still have this deep-rooted joy in your heart. And, and why? Because your joy is in the Lord. But, but the people of Israel, their joy was in their things, and it was in their economy, and it was in their agricultural uh, society, and, and all of that was taken away by the Lord. And so uh, they were lamenting, and the priests were lamenting. And so... Pick up now in verse uh, 13. It says, gird yourselves and lament, you priest. Well, you who minister before the altar, come lie at all night in sackcloth, you who minister. Now watch the pronouns that he uses right here. This is interesting. He says, you who minister to who? My God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are with hell from the house of your God. Why the difference in pronouns? Because they, the priest had a different relationship with God. It was the same God. They were both worshiping Jehovah God. But they had a different relationship with God than uh, Joel had. 
Joel could say, my God, it was his God. He lived in a close relationship with the Lord. These priests didn't. And, and uh, uh, so he's, he almost separates it almost like it's two gods. i tell you what, if you don't live in a right relationship with God, God might not be your God. You might have created your own God. If all Israel was doing was going through uh, religious activities and they had no heart for God, then, then God, Jehovah God was not their God. More than likely, what was their God? Their ministry was their God. And there's this danger, for, especially for ministers, that your ministry becomes your God. And, I, and you know, you, you, you wonder, man, well, what's going to happen if, and, and we all are ministers, we all should have some form of ministry. But, and, but there is that danger that we make that, put that ministry above God and we find our joy in that ministry. If the ministry is doing well, then I have joy. If the ministry is not doing well, then I don't have joy. And I, I don't think God will ever bless a ministry when, when that's our attitude, when we're finding our joy in that ministry instead of finding our joy in the Lord. So he says, gird yourself and lament, you priest. Wait, you who minister before the altar. Come lie all night. In sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering were withheld from the house of your God. Now, verse number 14. He says, consecrate. Here's what he's going to do beginning in verse number 14. He's going to give the priest the solution for their problem. And if ever you feel like maybe you got a plague that's come upon your life and you can't seem that that plague just doesn't seem to end. This might be something you might want to try. He says, concentrate, verse number four, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land of, into the house of the Lord God and cry out to the Lord. That's the answer. You've got to, consecrate. What's a consecrate a fast? I mean, separate yourself unto the Lord. Put all your focus on the Lord. Now, what kind of fast were they going to have? They weren't going to have a, they weren't going to be able to fast from food because they didn't have any food anyway. They weren't going to be able to fast from wine because all the wine had been taken away. And so he wasn't calling for a food fast here. He was calling for a, for a fast to to the, where the people separated themselves from the world and, and put their focus on the Lord. Now, they really didn't have much, you know, they didn't have TV or movies or anything like that to turn to, and they didn't have any wine left, and they didn't have any food, much food other than to survive. And so, really, they were forced into a corner where they should have known exactly what to do, and that was to turn to the Lord and consecrate themselves in a, in, a, in a fast and turn all of their intention to the Lord. You know, the Lord's main purpose, now there are all sorts of peripheral purposes, I can tell you that right now, but when he brings disaster upon a people, especially a nation, his main purpose in that isn't to hurt those people, it's to try to turn those people back to him, especially a nation that has some type of uh, 
relationship with the Lord to start with, like the United States of America, like Israel, like Britain. And, and uh, the answer, when things are look like they're about to go down the tubes, is to call for a fast. And, I, I, you know, a food fast is fine, a drink fast is fine, but the most important fast that we can make is to put things aside and put our attention on the Lord. I really believe that some of the changes we're seeing in our government right now, to me, that are positive because we're not so much Donald Trump, but the people he's, he's uh, hiring for these positions, his vice president, the things that are going on in our nation right now, the chance of maybe a more conservative Supreme Court, I believe that the direction this nation is turning, at least to making a little turn, is an answer to prayer. Because people saw things getting so bad and things spinning out of control morally and spiritually that people were fasting and praying. And people were really seriously praying. And I, I appreciate Lois's prayer tonight because I, I don't think the fast should end. I, I mean, we're, we're in danger of still going down the tubes. And so we want to be in prayer that, that uh, uh, God will turn this nation. And, and I, the best way for him to turn this nation is through revival, not through the political uh, arm of this country. But, but it certainly helps to see some things a little bit different from the way they were before. All right, then in verse number 15, he says, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and it shall come as destruction from the devil by accident. Is that what it says? People don't want to read this. That God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus Christ is Jehovah God. And so he's just, it's just one God. And so nothing's changed. He says, alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. From the Almighty God. What did Jesus say about it? What, what was John's description, or Jesus' words in Revelation? The first, the last, Almighty God. From the Almighty. Not from, you know, a milk toast Jesus Christ, as some people see him. Some, some wimpy uh, character that's been created in the minds of uh, certain bleeding heart liberals. Jesus Christ is the Almighty, and destruction can come from him. That's not, that's not his desire. I don't believe we see that anywhere in the Bible, and that's why it's great to read these, these prophecies, because because uh, we see God's heart in all this. God would much rather bless this nation than, than send destruction upon this nation. But he's not going to let them destroy themselves and destroy their children and destroy their grandchildren. At some point, he's going to bring destruction as discipline. Now, what you see in the book of Joel and really all of the minor prophets and major prophets, all of them are really major prophets, but... What you see is what scholars call prophetic foreshortening. That's where the prophecy has an immediate fulfillment, then maybe a mediary fulfillment, and then maybe a fulfillment far out in the future. And so when Joel's speaking here, 
you can watch how he kind of goes from the locust plague all the way into the Great Tribulation and maybe even into the Babylonian uh, captivity in 586 B.C. So really, I think there's, a, there's an immediate fulfillment that he's speaking of here. There's a mediary uh, fulfillment that he's speaking of in the, in the war between Israel and Babylon where they went into, ended up in captivity in 586 B.C. And then there's the long-range fulfillment of the Great Tribulation. Now, you, you, we, if you don't believe that, just go back. We'll look at what, I mean, we, don't, we won't turn there, but remember back in Hosea. Remember when Hosea, the Lord spoke in Hosea, he said, out of Egypt I call my son. Well, there's really two fulfillments to that prophecy. There's the fulfillment of Israel. Uh, actually, it goes backwards. It's historical in one sense. It goes back to the time when Israel came out of Egypt in the Exodus. But it also applies to Jesus Christ in the future. And so, so when you have these, these prophecies, God is speaking and God is not bound by time. He's already seen these things happen. So there might be one fulfillment, there might be two fulfillments, but there might be three or four fulfillments of a particular prophecy. And that's the case, what he's talking about here when he says, alas for the day, the day of the Lord is at hand. He's talking about this plague, but he's also talking about uh, somewhere in the future when uh, they, Israel goes through the great tribulation. And where does all of this come from? Where does the great tribulation come from? The devil comes from the Lord. Where did the Babylonian captivity come from? From the devil. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was like a devil and probably influenced by the devil, but it came from the Lord. And these locusts that had ravaged the land, they have come from the Lord too, from the Almighty. But what's his purpose? His purpose is to redeem Israel. His purpose in the great tribulation is to redeem mankind. But it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. It's going to be, seem like the most godless time in history. It's going to seem like the devil has finally taken total control of history. But he hasn't. He only has a short period of time in which to operate. And then the Lord will return and he'll end, end this and we'll leave that night. The dawn will come and we'll go into the to the millennium for a thousand years and then into eternity. Look at verse 16, beginning in verse number 16. He says, Is not the food cut off before our eyes, joy and gladness from the house of our God? The seed shrivels from the clod, storehouses are in the chambers, or in shambles rather, barns are broken down for the grain has withered. How the animals groan, the herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep suffer punishment. O oh Lord, to cry to you, I cry out, for fire has devoured the open pasture. What's going to happen when all the trees turn brown and all the grass turns brown, just one spark of lightning, and now they're dealing with fires. And so for the fire has devoured the open pastures, and a flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Kind of reminds you of Gatlinburg, what happened up there. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and the fire has devoured the open pastures. Now, as we come to chapter 2, Joel's going to start out talking about the locust plague, and then he's going to kind of morph into a place where he's talking about the great tribulation. So you've got to kind of follow this, and you can kind of see the change in, 
in uh, the events and, and how he goes from talking about locusts to talking about uh, armies uh, uh, and, and talking about these armies in Israel during the battle of, actually the battle of Armageddon is pretty, or you could maybe the, in one, in a meteory sense, you could say it, it applies to the Babylonian captivity, but ultimately to the battle of Armageddon. So let's pick up in chapter number two. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Now we can go all, uh, into a long study uh, in numbers about the trumpets. I'm not going to get into that. It's pretty, pretty simple to figure out. When you blow the trumpet, that means get ready to move. You get moved to action. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. That's exactly what Amos says. He says, woe to the... To, the, to those who desire the day of the Lord because it's not a good day. It's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. And you can see this pictured in the locust coming in like a cloud too. The people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been. Now he's talking about people here. So I believe now he's morphed, like I say, into a discussion on, on Armageddon. And he says, uh, a people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been nor will ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. So there's coming this time of trouble that's going to be uh, the most terrible thing Israel has ever seen when these armies march through the land. Now that happened with Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he brought that great army in there and destroyed Israel and eventually destroyed Jerusalem, took the people into the, what's known as the Babylonian captivity. So you have, a, you have a, a, a near future fulfillment there, but he's also talking here about the Great Tribulation. Remember what Jesus said about the Great Tribulation in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. He said, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time known or ever shall be. Isn't that exactly what uh, Joel says? Nor will there ever be any such after them. So, so, this, so he's speaking of this, uh, of the great tribulation. Now, as a believer, Peter says, we long for that day. We long for the day of the Lord. But what part of the, Day of the Lord is he talking about? He's talking about what happens after the great tribulation. I hear these, some of these prophecy gurus who believe we're going to go through the great tribulation just saying, man, I can't wait. Bring it on. I'm got, you know, I've got my generator and I've got my, you know, store, my buckets of food and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm not, I'm ready for it. You, nobody wants to be here during the great tribulation. If you want to be here, stay here and tell the Lord you don't want to go in the rapture, but I'm, Beam me up, Scotty. That's, I want, get me out of here as, as quick as you can when that thing begins. That's why Amos says, woe to those who desire the day of the Lord. And he's speaking of that, that night part of the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. It's a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. I mean, you read the book of Revelation and you come out of the book of Revelation and tell me you're longing for the great tribulation. That is going to be a terrible, terrible time on this earth. And you might be out of here, but you're going to have people whom you love and care for that are going to be here during that time. And so, man, we want to be here as long as we can and get as many people 
saved before, before we get beamed up. Verse number three, he says, a fire devours before them and behind them a flame burns. And the land is like the Garden of Eden before them. In other words, what he's saying right there, when you see what's happened after all of these bombs start falling and these plagues start falling and these, these uh, earthquakes take place and everything that's going to happen in the Great Tribulation, what the earth looked like before it all started, is you could, you know, it's like the Garden of Eden compared to what it looks like once it's all over. And behind them, a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. I mean, here you got the world one day, it's, it's looking pretty good, and the next day it's a desolate wilderness. That's what it's going to be during the Great Tribulation. And you read about those trumpets and those plagues and everything that happens in the Great Tribulation, and uh, that's exactly what the Bible says about it in, in, in that prophecy. Verse number four, and he's talking about these armies now that are going to march through Israel, that Armageddon. He says their appearance is like the appearance of horses and like a swift steed, so they run with a noise like chariots over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of flaming fire that devours the stubble, like a strong people set in battle array. Before them the people writhe in pain. All faces are drained of color. They, they run like mighty men, talking about these armies. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone, and you can see the picture of the locusts doing this too, you know, so it's, you see both fulfillments there. Though the, they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro to the city. They run on the wall. They climb onto the houses. They enter the windows like a thief. And the earthquakes before them. Now here's where you know it's something greater than just locusts here. The earthquakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. So you're getting a picture here of something much worse than a Locust plague. You've got this great war where these, these bombs are falling that make the earth shake. And this cloud of debris comes up that covers, darkens the sun and darkens the moon. It, the, you remember the first Iraq war when, when Saddam Hussein lit the fires in Kuwait and how it darkened the sun and darkened the moon. Just imagine atom bombs and hydrogen bombs and all of these things going off all over the world and, and uh, just how terrible that's going to be. And the Lord gives, but then the Lord comes. See, we're going we're gonna to see the dawn now here in verse number 11. The Lord gives voice before his army. He's got an army. Who's his army? You and I. We're going to come with him and just kind of watch, you know. <laughs> you're not going to be killing anybody. or You're not going to need your gluck, Roy. You're not gonna, we're not going to need any weapons. I mean, the Lord, because look, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. Out of his mouth comes the word that destroys this army. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? Remember what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse? He said, except these, those days be shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be Shorten. So the Lord comes and he comes with his army and he fights these armies that are in Israel. And who, uh, what's the question? Who can endure it? 
you can endure it. The tribulation saints can endure it. Israel can endure it. And maybe a few of the goats, because there is a separation of the goats and the sheep before the millennium. So, so a few people will survive it. But man, I don't want to be here, as I've said before. Now, just real quickly, I think we've got a few minutes. Let, let's, let's, let's grab, let's get some good news. I don't want to leave you with all of that. Y'all will hate me and you'll never come back. All right, look at verse number 12. He says, now therefore says the Lord. Here's the solution. You know, this would be a solution to keep the world out of the great tribulation. It's not going to happen because God's already seen it happen. He knows people's hearts. But there is a solution. There's a solution to our national problems. There's a solution to any nation's problems. There's a solution to the world's problems. There's a solution to our individual problems. He says, now therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart. You want the solution? There it is. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Turn to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. And, and I, I think he's speaking here to Israel in Joel's day. He's speaking to Israel. He, he said the same thing because you can read the book of Jeremiah. He says those exact same words to Israel before they go into the Babylonian captivity. So it applies to them too. And then it applies to the people, the Israel before the great tribulation when they will seek the Lord with all their heart. But what's he looking for here? Is he looking for them not to eat food or not to drink? He's looking for repentance. He's looking for them to mourn because of their sin, to mourn because of their lack of relationship with the Lord and to turn to him in, in sincerity, to put away their idols and, and be sorry for their rebellion and sorry for their sin. So he says in verse number 13, he says, rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, the Jews, what would they do when they were really sorry or wanted to look like they were sorry? They would rip their garments off. Well, God could, says, I could care less about you ripping your garments. I want you to rend your heart. I want you to, your heart to be broken. I want you, to, you, you yourself to look at your situation and how you've acted towards me, the Lord says, and rend your heart. It's like, the, you remember the center? There were the two guys up, you know, one was one, the tax collector, uh, was beating his chest and said, woe is me. And the Pharisee was saying, man, I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector. What was God looking at? Which one went away justified? The one who had beat his chest. He had rent his heart. He had said, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry that I've rebelled against you. Please give me mercy. And, and so rend your heart and not your garments. Return to, to the Lord Jehovah Elohim, your God, for he is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and of great kindness. And he relents from doing harm. God didn't want to hurt Israel with this plague, with the Babylonian captivity, with, with the great tribulation. He didn't want to do that. Because he's gracious and he's merciful. He'd much rather show them mercy. He'd much rather show you and I mercy than have to discipline us. And he's slow to anger. Thank goodness he's slow to anger. Man, I look around sometimes and I think, Lord, why are you letting this go on? I mean, zap those people. You send fire down from heaven and destroy them. 
And then I stop and think about where I was my first 40 years of my life. A good thing he didn't zap me or send fire down on me when I was doing some of the things I was doing. But he's slow to anger. He's full of mercy and of great, great, unbelievable kindness towards those who, who turn to him. And he'll relent from doing harm. It tells me if you don't turn, rend your heart, you don't uh, return to the Lord, you might suffer some harm. Again, we live in a world, I know we live in a world, Jesus said to his disciples, in this world you will have many tribulations, but be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. He's overcome the world. And even the bad things that happen to us happen for our good. And God would much rather uh, bless us than hurt us or cause us pain in order to get us back on track. Look at verse number 14. Who knows? Who knows? The prophet says. If we return, he will turn and relent. And not only that, I love this, I love this part right here. And leave a blessing on the way out. Leave a blessing behind. Isn't that just like the Lord? I mean, here you are, you're having this struggle with the Lord in your life, and you just, you know, you, you, you know he's disciplined, you know he's got a heavy hand upon you, and he's just trying to get you to turn. He's just trying to get you to draw near to him. And then when you do, he leaves his great blessing behind. What was he waiting to do? He's waiting to bless us. And as soon as we turn and we fast, we go into that fast and we concentrate ourselves unto the Lord, then, man, he leaves this blessing behind. And you know what he asks in return? That we bless him. You know, we're always talking about getting blessings from the Lord, but you know what he wants from us? He wants us to bless him. Bless him with our worship, with our focus, with our loyalty, and with our service. That's what he's looking for. That's what he's looking for. And we all running out doing our thing and running, you know, the Lord is way back here somewhere. And sometimes he's got to send something in our life that it's a big struggle. But the solution's right there. Consecrate ourselves. Call a fast. Call a fast. Seek the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's tough to do. You won't make it. But at least make that attempt. And watch the Lord leave a blessing behind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for who you are, that you are so kind, you are so merciful, you are so patient. Great kindness, the word says, Lord. Great kindness. You're full of great kindness. So much kindness, Lord, that you emptied yourself of your glory and came to this earth as a little babe in Bethlehem to die for our sins. Lord, so that there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Father, we just thank you for the great gift of your son. We thank you for, for how you bless us, Lord, and help us to turn in a way and focus on you in a way, Lord, that we bless you, that we're loyal to you, that we love others as you would have us to love others. But we can only do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, or that we serve you, 
And Lord, we just we look forward to, to the great day that's coming, Lord, when you return to this earth and you rule and reign in Jerusalem. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.